Welcome to the Road to Tenby podcast for aspiring triathletes on a journey to the world-renowned Ironman Wales event in Tenby. Here's your host, hoping to inspire you to reach your goals and full potential. He's an Ironman Wales finisher, PGA golf professional and a proud father, Tom Davis. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 11 of the Road to Tenby podcast. Today, uh, I'm joined by uh, somebody who uh, I've been in touch with before and uh, I think is going to give us some amazing, amazing information today uh, regarding performance and how we can optimize uh, sleep in particular to, to improve our performance. So I'd like to say a big welcome to, uh, to Nick Littlehales. Uh, he's the author of uh, the book called Sleep, uh, a book I've read and I've talked about a little bit uh, to some of my uh, some of the people I coach from a golfing standpoint. But Nick, welcome to the podcast. It's my pleasure, Tom. Nice to speak to you again. Yeah, yeah, you you too. How, how was your weekend? Uh, it was a rather strange weekend uh, combined with all the other strange weekends that I've been having. But uh, uh, it was principally looking after uh, three grandchildren because um, my daughter and her husband decided to dive off down to a little cottage in Dorset for the weekend to escape the kids. And uh, nice. so I've been granddadding all weekend, which is uh, great fun, but uh, challenging, challenging. How old are the grandchildren? We have seven, uh, well, they've all got birthdays in the first weeks of August. So we've got oh, one, wow. one seven-year-old turning eight. We've got one four-year-old turning five. We've got one three-year-old uh, turning four. Ah, nice, nice. We've um, we, we've we've got a little one in our house as well. Um, she's just coming up to six months old now. Um, so yeah, it is uh, like you say, it's, it's very very fun times, kind of looking after the kids and uh, especially with what everything else is going on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so Nick, just for some of the listeners uh, who may not have heard of you before, uh, and I'm sure they'll all know uh, a lot about you after the podcast. Give give everyone a little bit of a background on kind of uh, on on you, uh, kind of how you got into um, becoming a sleep coach, and, and just tell us a little bit about maybe uh, your career as well. Well, it's uh, it's uh, one of the strange things that sort of happened um, when I got asked to write uh, the book that you mentioned in 2016 with Penguin Random House. It was, it was a little bit strange to get asked to write a book about your life and stuff. Um, since that period of time, I've been talking to all sorts of people around the world in and out of sport, uh, because sleep's a very sort of natural human recovery process. And it is always a bit uh, overwhelming reflecting on your journey, because yeah. it's sort of like you, you were not actually going on that journey and recording it. It's sort of like you're having to go back and trying to remember how this thing started um, yeah. some two decades ago. But in brief... Um, I sort of, you know, loved sports as a teenager, uh, but this was way back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, a different sort of environment. Um, I sort of came out of that because I wasn't going to be a fully, fully fledged professional, wasn't interested in being anything other. Uh, I ended up in the furniture industry to, to pay the mortgage and bring up a young family and get married. Um, I found myself working for a company called Slumberland Beds. Um, I graduated through their ranks pretty quickly to become their international sales and marketing director. 
well, at 32 years old. Um, Slumberland was a big company, affiliates all over the world. We became a massive group throughout the whole of Europe and everything else. So principally, I was just wandering around, trying to be innovative, uh, trying to lead the brand. Um, and it was always about the association between sleep and principally, you know, sleeping environments and products. But because of the nature of my particular role, I also got involved with a number of clinical trials and professors of sleep. Uh, and also, so I sort of was studying this subject, uh, not just about products, but just about sleep in general. And I think I got to a particular point. Uh, we, with a few other collaborators in the industry, we created the first UK Sleep Council because there wasn't one. So there was no body representing the subject sleep, you know, one of these health pillars that is pretty important to us. Sure. And um, I think everywhere I went, I heard all of these statements about get your eight hours, you know, 16 to 18 degrees, don't eat too late. But with all the professors I ever worked around, they didn't have any definitive approach. It was sort of, they studied sleep, but they, did, they couldn't sort of tell you how to do it. You know, it's sort of, yeah. because everybody's got different occupations, you can't sort of put one particular definitive guide to pilots on long haul, nurses, surgeons, you know, multi-shifters, police workers, all that sort of stuff. And uh, particularly, you know, as things were continuing to, so around the late 90s, um, I just, you know, maybe that midlife crisis, I don't know. But I, I was just sat in my UK office in, in Oldham, Manchester, UK. Um, I'd done something pretty weird at the time, maybe because I was in some sort of lockdown, working my director's 12 months, twiddling my thumbs, going off to do something completely different. And uh, I just had to, happened to sign a cheque for the local football club called Oldham Athletic yep. to sponsor their shirts, you know, because we were a local employee. And um, I thought that would be nice for the workforce because they all supported Oldham Athletic because that's the way things are. Um, so suddenly I was going along to little dinners and stuff like that because I was the guy writing the checkout. And I, I, I sort of fell into football. And um, that led me to have some conversations with Manchester United and Alex Ferguson, who was the manager at the time. And it, it just, while he and his staff were were sleepers like us all. They were not in the sleep industry. So it was sort of like some of the things that, that I had learned and didn't quite make sense to me, mm. that this should be really important. There should be a way of doing this. So maybe we could have a, a dialogue about how we could put that together. And I think if it was any other club than Manchester United and Alex Ferguson at that time, I wouldn't have had any dialogue with anybody. But yeah. Alex Ferguson was one of the managers that if you don't know about something, find out about it. Mm. And if we're not doing anything in that area, you know, picking up some of the obvious terms, like it's 30% of your life, it's eight, nine hours a day, you know, surely there must be something in it. And yeah. so there was a physio at the time called Dave Fever, who was one of those guys who was looking outside of the box. Um, but you have to remember the late 90s. 
you know, I'd only just got a phone, Tom, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it was sports science and things like that that we have today was just not around. So not to, yeah. but it, so it was a, a weird set of circumstances, but it was a, a unique set of circumstances. We started to do some things with some of the players and that was from a physical point of view. So what's happening with postural care while they're asleep, you know, lying down on mattresses and all sorts of stuff. And um, that sort of started to generate some conversation. The team at the time were all very much sort of UK uh, orientated. Uh, the class of 92, Manchester United, whether you like Manchester United or not, you'll, you'll probably be aware. Absolutely. So it was a unique set of players, a unique manager, a unique set of circumstances, and we were able to open up those conversations. So all the, they also uh, dominated the England national squad. Yeah. So that created conversations with the England national squad that they got somebody who was talking to them about sleep. Uh, so the England national team got in touch with me, a guy called Gary Lewin, uh, who was also the Arsenal physio. And at that time, again, purely by circumstances, accidents, a new manager had arrived called Arsene Wenger. And Arsene Wenger was a, a completely different type of manager, uh, coach. And so they completely opened up that maybe we should learn more about this. And the end of that little story is, I just woke up one day and realized that they were talking in the press and the media about, you know, Manchester United, Arsenal, England squad, I've got this, this guy talking to him about sleep. Uh, they couldn't make any sense of that because there was no gauge. There were no other sleep yeah. coaches. There were nothing. So they just put coach and sleep together and say, they've got a sleep coach. And obviously that was me. So I sort of went, well, maybe, you know, this is it. So it's sort of one of those made-up jobs types of things. Mm. Being asked to talk to Arsenal Football Club with the whole first team completely multicultural, different to Manchester United. Got all of these different cultures in there and everything else. And, and you're just trying to use it. And I think it was very much sort of picking up on little things that kind of made sense to me as an individual, like what's my chronotype? Uh, what's my sleep characteristic? Um, polyphasic sleeping, sleeping in cycles, pre and post, product environments. And um, from that particular point, over those two decades, there's always been an organization who's prepared to, you know, get outside the box. And one of the significant ones was British Cycling and Team Sky around 2008-9, the aggregation of marginal gains. They couldn't ignore sleep. The clinical side was, was too intrusive. So I was the only person wandering around who had some sort of approach to it. And that, they had a, Enormous success in that period of time, running into 2012. So I think from that particular point to where we are, you know, maybe is a little bit unreal, but, you know, up until the back end of 2019, the sort of subject around sleep and human recovery and performance, it's a bit like a, almost like that black hole of loads of things in there that if we could mm. redefine it, if we could, look back at some of the things we used to do and and i think a lot of athletes because they've been in sort of 
some sort of lockdown or sport is not doing its normal thing. They've been able to reflect on some of these things I've been doing for you know two decades, just simple stuff like our relationship with the circadian rhythms. So it all sort of came together and we gave it an umbrella sort of technique. It's a little sort of thing to do. As you mentioned, it was encapsulated in that book. And, mm. um, you know, now there are sleep coaches everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love you know, it. Which I have to say, Tom, you know, back then, even in the early 2000s, to be having conversations like this, you know, some two decades later about sleep and performance and stuff like that, it's just, you know, I would have never imagined that that would have ever happened, you sure. know, or even have got to that particular point. But you know, mm. every year I've been saying, well, I should give this up and try something else. You know? um, but it's fascinating that, you know, right now, it still is a subject we want to talk about and we can redefine it. We can use technology and data collection to sort of try and get a better idea of this. Lots of other organizations are trying to, you know, develop more research in the area. But the simple fact is, as I stand here talking to you, it's not part of the educational process. It's not passed on by parents like you to your six months old. And, yeah, <laughs> it's not, well, you might do because you're, you're getting more knowledge. But it's, it's uh, until we get sort of sleep as the first pillar, yeah. and you get that right, then everything you do beyond that is going to maximize its potential. Sure. If, you, if you just leave it over there in this taken for granted, not a performance criteria area, then you can invest a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money in stuff that's always trying to compensate for a natural performance tool that's just hidden away there. And if mm -hmm. you just reveal it, bang, it's sort of almost like, you know, suddenly the light bulbs go on. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is really interesting. And I know I referred to, you know, our conversation going back a couple of years ago earlier. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I kind of understand this perhaps, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more than most, uh, but it is fascinating and I'm sure it will be fascinating as, as we start to delve into this now for some of the listeners, but you, you mentioned a few terms there along the way, um, about, uh, chronotypes. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? Um, yeah, circadian rhythms. That's it. Um, just, just for anybody who may be not familiar with some of those terms, uh, and, and maybe these will fit into kind of like that umbrella solution that you mentioned earlier as well. Kind of give, give the listeners a little bit of a, a very quick kind of idea on, on what some of those terms mean. Well, it was just that the circadian rhythms, I mean, I would imagine that most people listening to this will have heard the term. Yeah, because it's absolutely. Sunrise and sunset. It's about internal clocks, biological clocks, it's about hormone production, it's about our natural relationship with the sun going around our planet, right? Yeah. The sun going around our planet has absolutely no interest in our behavior, right? It just goes around the planet, shifting light, dark and temperature changes. And certainly in lockdown, with all the birds seem to be singing with amplifiers in their mouths, with microphones, because they sound so loud, it's, all it basically is, is just understanding that as a human being with bodily functions, 
-hmm. We are completely still synchronized to that process. Um, but as humans, we've been wandering away from it as much as we possibly can. So even if you spend quite a lot of time outside or inside, however that balance is, it really doesn't matter. It's about your own understanding about that relationship of that process that will never change. And if it does, we won't be here. So it's kind of just making sure that you understand that process and then how you behave every day, how far away from that process you are, and trying to keep a better balance with that relationship of the scaling rhythms. And it, it's nothing more than, you know, if, you, if I grab hold of your arm, Tom, and it's been a really stressful day, lots of training, high exercise, and we just wander down and sit by the river for five, 10 minutes, then the world seems to be, you know, not, not so bad a place. And this yeah. is visualization. This is light. This is the circadian rhythms. If you go camping and stuff like that, you know, getting out into the woods, into the mountains, you've just got a tent, no fancy mattress, no nothing, but you become aligned with sun up, light, the rhythm, and the pattern of this day. So circadian rhythms are not about thinking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's about a rolling 24-hour process and the more you align yourself with that, then sleeping becomes a breeze. Yeah. When you start to put things, obstacles in front of that, your brain adapts brilliantly, like we can sleep anywhere on this planet in different types of environments. But your brain constantly adapting means you're still doing what you need to do, but it's adapting. So there are counterproductive side effects to that if you keep doing things in a certain way. And that's really what circadian rhythms are about. And the, bit, the bit inside of that, which is the one that's probably easiest for most people to jump on, is, is the blue light spectrum in daylight. Mm. And that blue light spectrum triggers through your eyelids into a light receptor behind your brain. It triggers a hormone called serotonin. And the Serotonin tells your brain to unsuppress everything and make you fully active. Yeah. When that light's not there or it's diminished, like firelight, gaslight, candlelight, amberlight, anything like that, if that light's not there, then that same gland produces melatonin. And the melatonin tells the brain to suppress everything. Mm -hmm. So there's a really nice, interesting thing around that is, is it's not about outside and inside. It's not about daylight a dark or artificial light. It's just finding out what your light exposure is on a rolling 24-7 process. Yeah. Because that can be fascinating, even for people like triathletes who probably spend a majority of their time outside, you know? Mm. But it's that it's, also relationship when they're inside. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite interesting because the more you're talking here, the more things like I'm thinking of. So like... Uh, a, a real prime example now, right, is uh, when, when I go to bed in the evenings, um, I literally, I want to close the curtains. Uh, we, we've got like, um, what do you call them? The, the, the dark curtains, or I can't even remember what you call them. Blackout uh, The blackout curtains, that's the one. Um, and uh, I, I can literally go into bed and probably within 20 minutes, I'm, I'm out cold. But my other half, 
she cannot go to sleep without the TV on. So yeah. we're, we're, we're literally almost in this battle now of the, the TV keeps me awake, but it kind of sends her to sleep for whatever reason. And I, I don't know how common that is for, for, for other people in kind of like relationships and stuff, but it's, it's, it's quite interesting how, you know, what you're talking about there is just, it's just like, just so relevant to kind of me now, you know, and, no. um, to, to jump in there, Tom, there's a number yeah. of factors going on there. One is that if you live in a country with daylight saving time, so you shift the clocks, mm. uh, winter and spring, which is not natural, we should get rid of it. It doesn't apply to everywhere on the planet at all. Yeah. And that creates a much greater shift in sunrise and sunset, moving into the summer where we are now and things like that. And that's where you get this seasonal affective disorder in the winter because... Mm we've shifted that process. But other countries yeah. get faced with that all the time, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, long periods of loads of daylight and loads sure. of shock. And that's really about understanding your particular circadian rhythm is an internal clock relative to your postcode where you were born, right? Mm. So there's little things about your partner. And I mean, we all probably know about things like white noise and stuff like that. Yeah. And what happens is that you will pick up little things in your formative growth years. So you were born near the coast. So you were born in a city. So the, the sounds which your brain is very familiar with, and that creates familiarization. Mm. So you take some of those things away, and the brain is in an unfamiliar place. So yeah. it kind of overrides the process. So that's what's happening to your partner. It's not necessarily the TV. Yeah. There is a thing there that the brain wants because it's been triggered through how they've been brought up. And you put, that's always another classic one, sort of like blackout blinds are great, right? Well, yeah. yes, if you put blackouts into your room to, to keep that going. It's also really important how you come to that particular point. You know, because pre-sleep for me is from the point of wake, you know, yeah. not just one hour before you go to sleep. But if you imagine this circadian process, the sun wakes you up in the morning, then it disappears, puts you in diminished light and dark, and you move into a sleep state. Well, if you use blackout to protect yourself from early sunrises, you've got to put a light in your room because it's not easy for you to wake up in the dark. Right? Yeah. So there's a kind of, so that's one thing. So if you do blackout, You've got to think about your light exposure, you know, pre-wake and things like dawn wake simulators do that because they create the right light level. But you also have to consider you've now got a regular sleeping partner. Yeah. And as human beings, we're not designed to sleep with other human beings, right? So once, once you get that process in, suddenly we're creating barriers to recovery. So the positive things, you've got a regular partner, you're building a family, you sleep together, security sets, spooning, and all that sorts of stuff. But there's something there that your brain's having to deal with. And that is yeah. another human being impacting on you, making it more difficult for you to get your full recovery because you're having to compensate for things that are not familiar to you but are familiar to them. And that yeah. is where sometimes you would look at, you know, a lot of athletes tend to, you know, have regular partners who are also in the same sport or, or very sporty or very active. And suddenly the whole concept of sleeping in separate beds in separate rooms 
seems a bit anti-human approach, yeah. but actually it's just redefining your sleep, right? It's not a, yeah. you know, if you want to, because most of us, when we enter a sleep state, we will turn away from our partners, curl up in our own little space, and we don't really want to be disturbed until the morning, you know? Yeah. So even within that little, you know, you all talk about stuff, don't we? Blind spots. So inside your little world, right, there are three blind spots, and you mentioned them in like two minutes. Yeah. You know they're there. Every day. So that could, that, just, just making some little, aggregated little behavioral changes just within that tiny little area bang bang yeah you go right? yeah it's quite it's quite it's well it's, it's, re, it's really really interesting and like i i know for me and i'm referring to me a lot here um because it's the only thing i can kind of uh, i've got any kind of uh, grasp on i guess but i mean after our conversation a couple of years ago i was able to really manage the amount of sleep um and especially cycles which i'm sure i'm sure you're going to elaborate on a little bit as, as we go into the conversation um but it's yeah just just understanding kind of like your environment uh understanding you know what you actually need to function is 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 really really helpful and i i personally think as much as you know a little five five month or six month year old baby really puts a spanner in the works i feel like i do really really well on my sleep so like when it comes to like the amount of sleep that you should have per night what would be your take on that if somebody was going to ask you that question what would what would your answer be there's no there's no real uh, argument about it the, the reason why you know the eight hours get your eight hours see you in the morning concept is there is because Principally, all, all research and knowledge, as far as I'm aware, is that around 30-odd percent of that 24-hour circadian process, mm. us as humans, like lots of other things on our planet, have to go into a sort of hibernated sleep state to repair, okay? Yeah. And so 30-odd percent of 24 is eight, okay? But like a lot of other things on our planet, including humans, is up until quite recently, sort of Victorian times, when electric light came along and we were able to illuminate the streets, we were always dominated by firelight, gaslight, you know, amber lights, red light, yellow lights. So we were so much more what's called polyphasic. So when you just yeah. tap it in the browser, because I know all the people listening to this love to find out stuff, and if they haven't already, is you tap it in your browser, human sleep wave cycles, is that up until the light bulb, we never tried to sleep in one block. Yeah. Because we were more synchronized with this process. Mm. So we only started trying to push all of those eight hours into one block at night, right? But it's only when you see the diagrams of the circadian rhythms and us as humans interacting, is that just because it's dark, it doesn't mean it's night time, sleep time. Yeah. When you look at that process, you are basically, you've got a window. Uh, most people understand about deep sleep, and REM sleep, deeper sleep stages. 
And those stages are when you are at your most vulnerable. And you'll know this with your child as growth, is that when they're in a deep sleep state, they ain't gonna wake, right? You, you, yeah. you can walk them around the house, hang them upside down, right? Because the brain has put you almost into a semi-paralyzed state. It shuts you down. And to do that, it is in control of that in the formative years with your kids. Yeah. When they start moving out of that process and into the monophasic world of you and everybody else. So that's why kids always have more of an impact on us than they should. Mm. Because if you were adopting a more polyphasic approach to your everyday, then when you know a child is coming, you're able to adapt so they don't have the same impact because you're working with them knowing what's going on with them and knowing that you can do this as well and yeah. that's so i think the principle is is that you do need to be getting that sort of eight hours worth of recovery okay yeah but getting it all in one block we were getting away with it yeah? because there was loads of recovery breaks because we didn't have technology we didn't have 24 7. We had Monday to Friday weekends off and all of that kind of principle going on in the world in general. Uh, and as we've shifted over the last two decades, all of those little recovery moments, we're just stripping away like mad. So we're putting a lot of pressure on it. So when you actually look at the circadian rhythm, the deeper sleep stages are only going to be revealed between around 10 p.m. at night, because we put a clock on it, and around 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, okay? So that period between 10 and 2 and 3 is where those stages are likely to be revealed. So if you went to bed at 10, you might get it straight away. You know, like you fall asleep quite quickly. So your brain might put you into those stages. But they're only going to be 20% of however long you sleep for. So Mm. it's not like you're in deep sleep for hours. It's like little moments when the brain can take you into that place, leave you there for a bit, bring you out again and go into the other stages. And it's all about these 90-minute cycles and the rhythms of that. So even if you went to bed at 12 o'clock, you could still get your deep sleep between 12 and 2. Mm. What everybody knows with if they're ever using sleep trackers, although they're getting better and better and better, it's still just a guide and can be quite intrusive. So we certainly don't go deep diving into sleep trackers in sports. Um, Individuals might, but with organizations, we kind of go, hang on a minute. We're more focused on what we're doing while we're not asleep rather than trying to work out what's happening while we are asleep when the brain's in control of it, not us. And I think that's why a lot of people will wake around two, three o'clock in the morning. They'll feel quite wide awake because they may well have enjoyed a little period of deep sleep, either pre-12, after 12, and they're wide awake because actually the sun is coming back. Right? Mm. It, just because it's dark and that sort of nighttime period of sleep monophasically eight hours just at night, only half of that period is when the sun is on the other side. It's now coming back to wake you up. Right? So that's why the birds are singing at three or four o'clock in the morning. Right? That's why, you know, that's why it's happening. So you kind of think, well, there's no point me allocating eight hours like between 11 and six in the morning because the, the real benefit of the sleep part of that is going to be in the early stage of it. The back end of it is all about light sleep stages. Right? Yeah. So 
once you start to, and we could go on about that for days, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you start to get that concept, it's not about, it's not a quality and quantity battle here. Mm. You know, you've got to have this level of recovery, but it's yeah. how you reveal it, when you reveal it, and the biggest disruptor is worrying about it. So if yeah. you're the kind of person who wakes up in the morning, smash, 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 bashing it, bashing it, bashing it, training, this, that, and everything else, and then you get to a particular point when there's only so many hours left before you've got to do it again, you can't force yourself to sleep. You can't yeah. try and sleep because the brain will always override this. And make So when you look at it in cycles, we look at it using this polyphasic approach. But we also look at the first 90 minutes of your day is a recovery period because you're mm. moving from a sleep state into an active human state. Really critical to get the start of the day right. So that then every 90 minute cycle, you can, you can think, a little distracted break, right? Don't just push, push, push. So if, if I'm, if you just point your brain in a different direction for a couple of minutes, mm. It, it changes the whole thing. Your relationship sure. with light, using the other natural periods, like midday, early evening, or the other biphasic and triphasic approach. So what you can do is you can very quickly establish, which I think is what you've been doing since we last spoke, is you can establish how your recovery looks in any role in 24 hours. And that might be a combination of maybe four cycles at night structured in a particular way but six hours still a long time yeah but your other fifth cycle might be 30 minutes early evening to protect your evening and the four phases of the day so you're not mm. trying to go to bed too early you can look at all these little tiny distracted breaks that add up two minutes there every 90 minutes there's 12 of those it adds up to another 30 minutes of recovery so it actually appears that you're sleeping less in that concept. Yeah. But actually, you're recovering more. Yeah. And you're getting more out of the actual longer periods of back-to-back 90-minute cycle. You're getting more out of that because there's a, a more of a nice, natural, subconscious structure to your everyday. And, and that's where, you know... It's called the R90 technique, recovery in 90 minute cycles. It's seven key sleep recovery indicators, number one to number seven. They start at number one, which is your knowledge of circadian rhythms. Number two is understanding your sleep characteristic, which I didn't answer before to you, Tom, which mm. is your chronotype, whether you're a morning type or night time, which is a little genetic twist. And that, that can affect how you approach every day and how you prepare yeah. of going into certain phases rather than just rolling into them. And colleagues and friends who influence you, it's just having a nice relationship with you, your brain, bodily functions, and your natural characteristic. And the third one is understanding about this polyphasic approach. Yeah. Once you get past those, then suddenly you can start thinking about pre and post routines, because it starts to make sense now about what you can do, bring little interventions in, Little things that are unique to you, like your partner has to have the telly on, you know, mm. things like that. Then you can look at a more balanced uh, activity and recovery program because that recovery activity is a really positive activity. It's mm. not a negative doing nothing one. 
then you can jump into the environments that you have to sleep in. You know, everybody listening to this, you know, you're in a hotel in Tembe, but you've come down from Scotland. Well, I don't know. But it's like the environments where you take yourself as a human being and you put it into a different environment and you want mm. to be able to recover from it. Well, knowing the things that you need to have with you to get that familiarization, understanding that if it's a really quiet hotel, then if your partner, Tom, yeah. is a triathlete and there's no TV in the room, why are you choosing that hotel? Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Take a yeah. TV with you. No? Yeah, then yeah, you can start exactly. thinking about the last one on the list, which is, which is number seven, which is the products. Mm. Because we, I coach athletes to sleep anywhere, anytime, yeah. on anything, in any way. Because yeah. that's what we do. So once you get along that route, suddenly, that's why I say it's almost the most important one of nutrition and exercise and anything else you want to ram in there is that once you get that, everything that you do or invest in is far more considered. Yeah. And you just feel in so much more control. And when you get that, it's like, rather than worrying about this process, and I think, you know, I'm quite passionate about this, Tom, so you're shutting yeah, up no, a minute. Good. But no, 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 I think good. a good example in, in the sport that uh, you're, you're referencing in this Potter, um, it's a challenge. Yeah. And you have to prepare for it. And then when you're going through it, there's challenges there. You want to come out the other side of it and, and then go on to the next challenge. I think this sort of pandemic period of time has just shown us all what challenges are really for us mm. all as a population. And if you're not prepared, right? If you don't know how to go into a particular period where all you're doing is you're adopting a multi-phasic approach like a single-handed round-the-world sailor or somebody who has to up their training program doing something like an Ironman or a triathlon. It's not easy. You've got to put a lot of commitments into it. And, and when you go through those periods, your sleep can change. Yeah. So rather than you're thinking, oh, I've got to sleep even more. I sleep before the tournament. I've got to sleep during the tournament. But all you're doing is saying that. What actually are you doing to make that happen? Because I've just been coaching a single-handed round-the-world sailor. They're at sea for three months on their own on a stripped-out boat, and they only even try and sleep every five to six, seven hours for about 26 minutes because they have to go back up and do it. Now, they can do that for three months, yeah, but they so have to prepare for it, and they have to come out of it. So yeah. I think that's the real... Suddenly, you've got a little toolbox in your back mm. pocket that means it really doesn't matter what happens en route to my next event mm. into a major event and stuff like that and it's important yeah. to be but sometimes when you're going into certain circumstances the understanding is that if things if you can see what's coming right that's one thing but you're not in control of everything either yeah. that's another thing so mm. as you roll through these 24-hour periods You've always got to keep adapting. And what you're trying to do is have something in your back pocket that means that when you have an opportunity to take advantage of a positive period where you can minimize the effect of a negative period, right, is that creates more consistent levels of mental and physical recovery 
think that's really what sleep is about. Not thinking yeah. it's about a monophasic block at night, trying to do it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it yeah. doesn't. A, a, a good example, again, relating it to me. So yesterday, and a lot of triathletes will kind of, uh, relate to this is like because a, a Sunday for me is kind of like my long ride so we, we went out yesterday and we then uh almost six hours on the bike I was I was back in the house by I don't know one o'clock maybe so we, we had a pretty early start and I got back had a quick shower and I was just so tired so I had like a little a little half hour sleep and I felt really good afterwards had a bite to eat, had a cup of coffee. A couple of hours later, like probably coming to about five, six o'clock, I was tired again. So I had an, another half an hour. And today, Ooh. honestly, honestly, right, I feel so, so good today after having a, you know, a good night's sleep as well. Um, even though I was up early this morning, I wake up anything between kind of four and 5 a.m. in the morning without an alarm. And uh, I don't think I felt this good on a Monday after a really, really long, tough ride for, for a long, long time. And I'm putting it down to those kind of those little naps yesterday afternoon. So it's quite, it's quite interesting to kind of bounce off what you were saying there about taking opportunities. Um, Cause I, I personally think they've helped me definitely today feel, you know, feel so good. I think the great point about that, Tom, is, you know, people just go, oh, I've got time to nap and you, you know, mm -hmm. you're doing two naps, Tom, you know, how do you do that? No. Um, but what it is, is if they're allocated slots into your rolling 24-7, whether you choose to use them as a, an actual sleep period or just a recovery period, some time out for time, right? Yeah. Your brain starts to get re-synced with this, right? And you will know whenever you move into those little slots that you've just chopped up in your diary, that's Tom's 30 minutes, right? And you know that your brain will tell you that you're likely to go into sleep in our little 30 minute slot. And you start yeah. to think and you do it. Sometimes it will not tell you that you feel you might go into a sleep state, but you still do it. You, you don't try and sleep, yeah. but you still allocate that moment. So when you need it, like you just described, in that particular approach, suddenly there you are, six hours out there, anything could have happened. You could have fell off the bike, you could have hurt a, a joint, anything, whatever. And it's just like, as long as you've got those little opportunities in your schedule, then you and your brain are having a much better relationship together. Yeah. And that, that's where consistency comes from, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good. And, and I've got like... Like for me, like I said, I wake up quite early in the morning. I generally don't even need an alarm, even if I've got like a super early training session. So gen generally, I would all say... All the PMers probably, out there are laughing their socks off now. What's that, sorry? I said all the PMers out there are laughing their socks off going, what? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's true. Like, you know, the, the, the amount of mornings I wake up are kind of like, you know, 10 past four, you know, half past four, and my alarm is set for... I don't know, five o'clock or something, you know, I'm just, I'm beating my alarm kind of most mornings, but like there are occasions where I do feel like pretty horrific when I wake up in the morning. Uh, and especially if the alarm wakes me up. And I don't know if you've seen the film Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street, but you know, 
you know the scene if you have seen it and for anybody listening they'll probably can uh, relate to it the scene where he gets out of the car and he's crawling towards the, his front door um where he's he's, he's at a night on the raz that's kind of, kind of sometimes how i feel in the morning getting up and my my question to you and it's, it doesn't happen all the time is at that point if i've got a training session at 5 45 in the morning and i wake up at five o'clock my alarm's waking me up uh woken me up am i better off staying asleep or am i better off just thinking come on man up get out of bed um and you know get on the turbo trainer and do a really really tough session what like how do you determine like at that point whether you need more sleep or whether you just need to kind of like bite the bullet and get on the bike and and get it done my principle and philosophy about this working with a lot of people right okay i don't think there's anything about getting more sleep right mm. all that's happened is in that particular period things that might have been going on over the last few days right or in the last 24 hours before that sleep period your brain has just reacted to that and so you didn't get your normal flow so you wake up in the morning and you just go okay okay that was that was not good and i don't feel great mm. obviously jumping in the shower grabbing some coffee grabbing some energy drink jumping on a turbo booster and getting everything rocky and you sort of think well i've got over it now haven't i yeah because i i feel all stimulated you know man up get on with it but all you're doing is taking that wasn't good right so you don't want to try and catch up because that's gone it's disappeared mm. so you can still start your day and you can still do some positive things you know about your performance but what you what you try and do is not do that intense stuff yeah at that level because all you're doing is just pushing yourself into a place and that's so you kind of it's kind of the more you keep doing this, Tom, the more those times don't occur. And when they do occur, your reaction to it is like, okay, today my training program is going to look like this. Right? Yeah. Because I just want those little 30 minutes there. I'm on the little 30 minutes there. You know, my brain will just go, hey, it was a bad night. Wasn't it? Yeah, well, this is what was going on. You don't know what was going on, but this mm. is what's going on. So, just keep me in synchronized. So there you go, bump, 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 back on your schedule, back into it. And if you felt that you were going to lose out from that intensive program that morning, if you keep pushing it, then you'll get to a point where you might have a number of days in any week when you feel like that. Mm. It'll just start to become consistently bad. Right? Yeah. And you keep pushing through it. And that's not what you want. It's just like, if you just, that's what I think about the worrying about it. You know, you woke up, something went on, right? Maybe you'll be able to find out. And the more you keep doing this, you can already spot it before it happens. You know? Yeah. You know, yeah. the exact, you know, if I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that, then this is probably the consequence. So rather than you trying to, sleep for the same amount of period of time that night you'd have already known what was coming yeah, yeah. I mean. so you had a bad night 
don't try and override it. You can't just go, well, fine. You can still be positive, but you've got this approach in the background that just keeps it all nice and synchronized and it just disappears. So you're still not doing nothing so. But you see it so many times. And a really good example is a, uh, there's a few. It happened within British cycling over a period of time, not so much now, but you know, things change. Um, but there's, um, there's a couple of managers who came into the premiership in football um, fairly recently. And, you know, way back when I was chatting to Alex Ferguson and he started doing pre-season training, double up pre So you're not only training in the morning, you're training in the afternoon, which was unheard of. Mm. And that started to create some little data where we could actually see chronotypes in the team because the data changed in the afternoon. And two decades later, there are managers at the top flight, right? Winning things for fun. And the question they get asked all the time is how do you keep this so consistent? Performance levels so consistent. All the players available to play so consistently, right? They never quite tell you. But they stopped training morning, afternoon. They only train when events are being played. Mm. So they would train at 12.30 if it's a lunchtime kickoff, 3 o'clock, 5.45, 7.45. They would only train when events, the times when events are actually being done. Mm. They wouldn't train in between those times. Right? And that's because you are trying to establish those rhythms within the players is that mm. they do have to roll through these periods and there's time when they're at home doing nothing, but then they have to go into the club and train at 7.45 at night. Yeah. Unheard of. There's no game on, but they're getting all the data. They're getting all of that relationship of how the players shift around that rolling process. So it becomes a far more natural process to them rather than they only train in the mornings, but they play at 7.45 at night or they play at 3 yeah. o'clock. And it's those types of things, so a bit like, I don't know how widespread it might be in the world of triathletes and stuff like that, but it kind of is a little bit, if, I mean, most of the events probably, you know, they go on for many hours, don't they? But they do have a start point. Yeah. So maybe, you know, it's not so random, but it's kind of thinking along those lines of, how you train and how you do things is this more synchronized approach to, to everything else that you do yeah. rather than leaving this thing in the background. Mm. So that's where what you pointed out before, that if a professional footballer, for example, or manager or coach within that team is rolling through that process, then the little midday 30 minutes, the little early evening 30 minutes, because it's already part of their process, allows mm. them to wander around that crazy changing 24-hour cycle of getting back home at 3 o'clock in the morning or not having to train at 7.45. So that's how they sort of polyphasic themselves around yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Right? Okay, it kind of leads me nicely into, into a, another question, actually, because like especially around Ironman events, which, you know, depending on how good you are, I suppose they could blast anything from, in Tembi, maybe nine hours up to uh, 17 hours. And like it, the, the, the start is normally at seven o'clock and 
you know, a lot of people are getting up at kind of like four o'clock to try and get some food down them just so they can digest it before they get to the start line. You've yeah. got to get down to transition, you know, sort your bike out. So based on what you've just said there, then a real sensible approach, maybe a couple of weeks before you've got a really important event coming up. And, you know, typically these events, you know, people are not competing in these every week, maybe one or two a year kind of thing. Uh, so it seems quite a realistic approach as well. If, you, if you've got an early start of, let's say, your alarm's going to go off at 4 a.m. on September the 6th, 2020, for Ironman Wales, which unfortunately is not going ahead, this is postponed to next year. Would it be a good approach then to kind of start, you know, getting up like maybe a week or two weeks before the event just to try and like get your body in some form of rhythm and sync it to that kind of start time? Just so you don't feel horrendous on the morning that you you know you've got the biggest event of the year. Well, I have to say, Tom, it it it, it, it may sound a little bit strange to some, mm. but you know that's exactly what's been going on, right? And mm. it is sort of like you know uh, Steve Redgrave pointed out, you know, serial gold medal winner rowing, serious sport. The, the night before an event, he wouldn't try to sleep, right? Because mm. there's too much adrenaline, there's too much stuff to do, right? So it's like sleeping is also about when you sleep, why you sleep, and why you don't sleep. And your point is absolutely right. If you've got a natural polyphasic approach in your life, right? And you've got this little rolling thing going on every 90 minute cycles little blocks, distracted breaks, that are, then as you move towards something, rather than moving from, you know, if you're an am like you, you wait normally four or five o'clock, a pm is not like you, so it mm. might be, but they're trying to force themselves into the event, is that when we mentioned before about the deeper stages before 10 and after, so what you do is you start to move into this new pattern. It's not a new pattern, sorry. It's just, you can now just make these little tiny adjustments with your cycles. So actually what you do is, you know, maybe 10 o'clock, bang, reveal that deep sleep state. But put, mm. put the alarm on just for security and wake yourself up at two. Right? Yeah. Because now you've got loads of time to eat and fuel up and exercise and prepare and transition and all that sort of stuff, get their brain really functioning, yeah. smash your event, and then come back into that process and come out of it. And mm. it's really important to think like that. You, you can't just change this process without thought. And as yeah. soon as you start thinking like that, is suddenly it just becomes, you know, I, was, I think a lot of the things is we, there's things like excuses which humans are brilliant at. And it's kind of maybe you overtrain a bit too much going into an event. Maybe you, you know, you try and overhydrate or you try and do this or supplements or energy stuff or anything like that. Uh, and all the adrenaline, the cortisol, and all that sort of stuff running into it. It's kind of like it all sort of comes to a head right into that event. Mm. And you you always want to see that sort of athlete that as you pointed out maybe you know we know when that event is we've got other things going on in our lives like other occupations and things and everything 
but you just start to readjust your cycles yeah. within your natural process, right? And you just start doing it and you wake a little, you know, put it back another cycle for you. You know, you put it back from five to three thirty, and you're waking up earlier. You haven't got an event on, but off you go. But then the little 30 minute one midday, which you've mm. always got in your bag, that one, early evening one, little distracted breaks, and you start to shift it. And then so when you get closer to it, it's not about I've got to get up early because the event is on at seven. This has already been going on for the last few yeah. weeks. Yeah, so it's yeah, just, yeah. just not a shock, right? And you can come back out of it in exactly the same way. And this mm. is why you're sort of rolling into this particular period. So you're just changing in a very subconscious way your overall recovery approach. So you're not doing less sleep or less this. You're just shifting it within that focus with the yeah. understanding that it ain't going to kill you. It's more likely that in the back end of each of those events, from the swimming to the cycling, in the back end of each of one of those is when you're going to see that point, isn't it? Yeah. When you transition, yeah. stuff like mm. that, isn't it? Yeah. Right at the end, it's like the 96th minute in a football game when people make mistakes and stuff like that and decisions just don't, and they don't quite get that head on target. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's so easy to sort of, you know, wasn't my day, the weather wasn't like this, or, you know, I got stuck here, or maybe the bike wasn't prepared well enough, or maybe I didn't, you know, hydrate well enough, or do this, and that. All of those things, you say, look, if you just follow this process, those things will reveal themselves mm. far mm. more consistently. Yeah. It's, 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 I, I think like for, for me personally, like I'm up pretty early most mornings. So, I mean, I probably don't have to make much of an effort to kind of like prepare for an early morning start anyway, but I think anybody who really struggles with kind of waking up early in the morning, just to kind of know that you can almost like train yourself into, especially for a big event, like I am on Wales, train yourself into you know, a good state at seven o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning, I think would be really, really helpful. Um, so like from an, in an ideal perspective, how long would that kind of like transition period kind of, uh, kind of continue for like, so if, like I mentioned earlier, the event this year was supposed to be September the 6th, would you start preparing an athlete maybe beginning of August to try and like, just start switching their cycles and taking advantage of those little periods in the afternoon. Would would that be yeah. would that be enough? It's obviously it's always difficult to be specific because you've got to start somewhere, right? Sure. So you might as well start for your next event. Mm. Um, it, it's highly unlikely that it's actually going to damage your performance. Yeah. It's only got an opportunity of improving it, right? Sure. Or, so. You, you take that mindset from the first principle. Then you'll, you know, read my book, listen to my book, listen to your podcast, get some information and start to, you know, like you did, you just start to make those little changes and identify the blind spots. You might not be able to do anything about, but you can manage them a little better. Mm. And you can try things out, right? And you start to get that rhythm going. And then in your first event, you may... You may not get it right, but there's no such thing as getting it wrong, right? Mm. It's just, 
And then the next one that comes along is get even better, right? And the next one that comes along is get even better. So I think the point to everybody listening to this is you're not, you're not trying a new training technique. You're not breaking in a new bike or a new this or that or a new nutritional program that needs time or whatever. It's actually, this is a really natural process in your back pocket. And yeah. so you can start it. But what you're doing is, it's sort of, if you wanted to start it in August for the Tenby event, that's a starting point, right? Yeah. The Tenby event is not the end point. Sure. You started this new approach, right? And you're going to roll it into this new event. And then you're going to roll it into the next one. Then you're going to roll it into the next one. And then suddenly, just be, you know, that's how you do it. Yeah. And you can even explore it even further, you know, mm. in all sorts of different ways, right? In all it's sorts. It's so interesting. It's so, it's it's so like, interesting. Um, there were a couple of weird things with British cycling. Um, that cropped up in meetings, you know, we're all sat there talking about aggregation, marginal gains and all this sort of stuff, which you can get completely OCD about. Yeah. Because if everything aggregates up, then you've got to think about absolutely everything, you know, how you wash your hands, what do you wash your hair in, friction on the carpet in the training, all sorts of stuff, right? Because it all adds up. And it's mm -hmm. like in a peloton. Yeah, the people, you and everybody know more about this than I do. It's almost like, there's a little nap period, right? It's like, go back into the peloton and just get dragged along by the peloton. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or protected mm. by the, from the wind. Or It's a little, we're trying to get Brad Williams or Chris Froome to the top. So they don't sit at the front all the time, do they? Yeah. Taking all that. So it was almost like, is that a nap? Well, it's a kind of controlled recovery period, isn't it? Yeah. They're sort of... Yeah. They're trying to protect the lead rider, you know. So, well, so if we just define what this napping means, you're actually flying along at 40k on a bike with loads of other people around you, but actually you're in a recovery slot. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, now, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. it's kind of like you would not put Chris Froome at the front of that peloton for six hours. Yeah. Because it ain't going to work, is it? You know? No. So no. I think that's where it sort of slots into individuals' training programs. But, mm. you know, if you're out there on the bike on your own, that's tough. Right? Yeah. If you don't yeah, sit them out. I mean, I, I spent probably about five hours with my seven-year-old on a BMX track having loads of fun. But, boy, I felt it when I came off it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you suddenly realize... This is not a track bike or a road bike. You know, we're on to the yeah. going up and down the ramps. And you just, this is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And then I, then I thought, whoa. <laughs> prepared for that one. Yeah, so the old... Uh, those yeah. little things that, that means, you know, you just start to think about it really carefully. And if you've got a, if you've got a training partner, Tom, and you know you're a morning type, and you know your training partner is a nighttime chronotype, then you don't push each other to do exactly the same stuff at exactly the same times mm. every 24 hours. You sort of, you know, like you said, you wake up in the morning and feel absolutely crap, but you've got a training session with your friend, with your partner. And, and I think these tiny little things about who you train with, when you train with them, when you do things on your own, when you're doing things like that, 
um, how important these little recovery moments are for you. Mm. There's a little bit of, um, it won't make sense to everybody listening to this, you know, eat, sleep, repeat and all that stuff, but it's a little bit of tortoise and the hare stuff going on for anybody who's old enough for those yeah. little things. So what you're trying to do is, is make sure that you're recovering every 24 hours rolling in your own personal life with everything else going on with your occupations and family coming along and all sorts of things, going through the seasons, shifting into winter, spring, and all of those things. So an event really is just, um, it's just a challenge. That's, yeah. um, it's nothing more than that. And mm. you can just go into it very, very positively, mm. not just, you know, because in the background, at the end of our fingertips, there is so much we can access without any medical supervision, any guidance from anybody. And I hear it all the time, you know, I've just got these caffeine supplements. Where do you get those from? I've just got these, you know, energy things here. I've just got these supplements here. I've got this melatonin stuff here. Or, you know, I'm just saying, anybody in the room who really sleeps amazingly? And they said, yeah, I do. How do you do that? Please tell us all how you do that. And they'll hang their little bottle up and say, oh, you know, I take two Ambien every night. Mm. Because it's a, it's a sleeping tablet, Nick. So if I want to sleep, I take a sleeping tablet. If I've got a headache, I take a paracetamol or an ibuprofen. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, is it? It's a sleeping tablet to help me sleep. So I take sleeping tablets. Oh, wow. Okay. How long have you been doing that for? Well, I got off my GP a couple of years ago found out which one was right for me, and now I just ordered it online. Yeah, well. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going, okay. So there is this kind of mindset that you could sort it out yourself. Yeah, yeah. To fit in our DNA to go, well, you know, sleep's not great, I'm, I'm a high-achieving performer, so maybe I'll, you know, get a new pillow or get that sleep tracker or I'll get a supplement or I'll do this, you know, because, you know, it's not really an issue. Mm. So you just try to resolve it yourself, don't you? Go and get some night off from the pharmacy and you're sorted. Yeah, I've, I've got a, um, a little product, actually. Uh, I know you're talking about products called uh, Lumi Zest Lamp. And I, I, I use that pretty much when I described earlier about me crawling out of bed. Uh, sometimes in the morning, normally I'm up, but there are occasions where I really, really struggle. I stick that Lumi Zest lamp on and uh, that, that really helps. And sometimes in the afternoon, kind of early afternoon, if I'm you know, by the laptop, I'll stick that on. What would be your take on uh, using a product like that, which obviously creates uh, you know, artificial light? Right. So we wander back to the circadian rhythms, Tom. Right? Mm. And we know about blue blockers and protect yourself from the blue light on your tech because that will keep you awake. And that, all that is is producing serotonin, which unsuppresses. So you're just, you're just challenging your brain. But if you get more of a focus on it. So there's two things there. If you're outside all the time as a human being mm. and you just get woken up by the sun, then the daylight, uh, the way you measure light is called lux, okay, lumens. And when you measure that daylight out there, which has got many different strands of, and inside there is the blue energy wave. Even on a day like today, it could be 80, 90,000 lux out there right now. Okay. When you 
So the lamps, right? The little zest lamp or any lamp that's associated with that is producing 10,000 lux, right? Yeah. And that's because as a human outside in that sort of 80, 100,000 lux, then you'd be looking up and looking down, trees, clouds, things like that. So your average exposure through that pineal gland would be around 10,000 lux. So that's why your zest lamp is producing 10,000 lux, okay? And that's why you're reacting to it. It's mm. just your brain reacting to that. All the other artificial lights in your house are nowhere near that. Yeah. Right? So that's why you get a little boost. So when you start to have this 24-hour rolling, little distracted break, if just every 90 minutes you just look in a different direction, switch your little lamp on, get mm. a little hit of 10,000 lots, reset the serotonin level, bang, you're going into the next phase, right? Yeah. If you don't, you're all, it's almost like in melatonin land. So you're mm. still active, but the brain's kind of like not fully unsuppressed, right? Yeah. And all the body functions. And the, the quick way, that's why I say, you know, people who spend a lot of time outside don't think that they probably have a problem, right? But I don't know whether we've spoken about this before, but as soon as people started talking about blue blockers and blue lights, bad view and everything else, I said, first of all, blue light is amazing, right? Yeah. It is absolutely amazing. It's just you're under and over exposure. So what could I do with these young athletes? And so, as always, there's technology. I just went, right, I'm going to download this free Lux Light meter onto my device from the app store. Mm. It's going to put a little dial on my phone. It's going to just use the camera just to measure the light, not the type of light. We don't get too scientific here. But I just want to show them what this needs. So they're wandering around with their device, this little light meter there, and it's fluctuating like mad, right? So they're, they're, uh, <laughs> they're standing in a room, um, and there's just glass between them and the outside world, right? So there's no barriers whatsoever. And the light in the room is, is beautifully lit through daylight. And the light's even on, on. And they're just one meter away from the window. And it says on their device, 110 lots. They move it down slightly, 10 centimeters towards the floor and disappears down to like five lux. They bring it up and bring it up higher and it goes to maybe 300 lux. They then take one stride, less than a meter, closer to the window. Just one stride and it shifts to 3000 lux. They put it up against the glass, which is not a barrier to light. Mm. And it's now at 5000 lux. They just step the other side of the glass and it's now 90,000 lots, right? So you're just going to yourself, look, and the thing about you waking up in the morning, as we mentioned about life, is that when you wake up in the morning, the one thing you need is not to jump on that turbo booster, not to overcome the fact, it's just you need light, which is way, 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 way stronger than any other light in your house. Mm. So, so would you say what the, my little method here of using my Lumi is is good? Oh yeah, 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 good. But the thing is about it, yeah. it's like the thing is, is, is along all this journey, you sort of go, well, the, people know about seasonal affective lamps, mm. seasonal affective, well, and you shift between these seasons and training programs. You know, all of your athletes are out there at ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night because it's still light. And then suddenly mm. we shift the clocks and it's dark at four o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. right? 
you know, we're like, oh, this is crazy, you know? Yeah. So you spend more time in the gyms and in your homes training rather than being outside on the bike because it's cold, mm. it's wet, and it's dangerous. And then you shift into there. So when your events are, you've got to be careful. Like, remember I told you about the, the managers training at the mm. right time in the right places? Yeah. So you can have a lamp by the side of your bed, a dawn wake simulator that creates the sunrise and the 10,000. So before you even wake, it's putting that process in place to help you start your day. Mm. You can have a little lamp in your kitchen. Yeah? So when you're making breakfast and doing anything, it's just there. No? Every 90 minutes, switch it on just for 10 minutes. You're not overexposed, just 10 minutes. Just switch yeah. it on, just forget about it and carry on playing with the bike. You know, just switch it. Yeah. Of with the lamps. You know, you've got to put them in your bag and you've got to take it to the office and you've got to have it there and take it here. And even some crossfitters in this brightly lit fluorescent gym that was like so bright, it was unbelievable. We were able to just show them that that light is nowhere near that if they were yeah. on that turbo booster outside. And they just yeah, like, I haven't yeah. done that. So yeah. people are getting more aware that inside of homes you can have circadian lighting. Mm. Inside this light is really important about your under and over exposure, whatever sport you're doing, and how you'll be able to take that through the seasons. And you know those little 30 minutes you talk about? Yeah. Like visualization, sensory, stuff like that. Point mm. the brain in a different direction, take your little 30 minutes, switch your little lamp on, because that's not waking you up straight away. That's bringing you out of your little micro sleep if you do do it feeling better yeah i know i know pilots like uh, need to do that uh and and the law don't they like every is it every 90 minutes or every hour they just need to kind of um just have like a 10 minute break kind of thing i think it's it's, it's something along those lines well i can see you've got airpods in your ears right yeah so what now you can get called a human charger right humancharger.com and all that does is put that level of light in through the ear canal to the same light receptor. So literally, you don't have to carry lamps around with you. You don't have to do anything. It's a totally non-intrusive little thing in your pocket. Yeah? You can still be riding your bike. You can still be cooking. You can still be doing absolutely everything. It only goes on for 10, 15 minutes and then shuts off so you can never overexpose it. You've got all those things. And it was developed by scientists in Finland. We have a massive relationship with light. So what it's doing is rather than through the eyelids into the light receptor and into the pineal gland, they're just using the ear canal to do it. So literally, literally, all day long, you can just keep this nice balance. And particularly if you've got an event, you know, when you were talking about when do you wake up, is, is if you put the alarm on for four o'clock, but you're yeah. still in the light, you know, you're hydrating up, you're fueling up, you're doing all that stuff, bowel and bladder, you're preparing things for the event and everything else. But if you're doing that in melatonin light and the event starts at seven o'clock in the morning, well, you know, the light's different in September, October. Mm. Going is in June, July, you know, it's different. So the one thing you should be doing is you just chuck those human charges in your ears while you're doing all of that to get the level of light up and to get everything functioning or at least have your zest by the side of you, right? Yeah. So, you know, you say about those little blind spots, if you could only look in your mirror and you could see your brain 
and you can see your brain is only half lit up. Mm. You just put your little zest lamp on for 10 minutes and now it's glowing, right? And you just think, wow, yeah. wow. Right? What do you say those things are called again? Human charges, I'm looking for them online now. Humancharger.com. Yeah, they sound awesome. Now, yeah. you know, I, I know the guys really well. I don't go around endorsing and promoting products if you use them. So if I want to make sure that young athletes, you know, get inside of this, you get them a little light meter on the, on the phone and they start going, hang on a minute. Mm. That stuff out there is free energy, please. Yeah. Meaning I could run faster, go quicker, do more stuff, be more productive. Everything that goes in my mouth is going to be processed in the right way because I've got my hormones balanced. And I know when to shut it down. I know when to, I need to boost it up. Yeah? Mm. And once you start getting that, then suddenly, suddenly what's happening is you're getting more synchronized with the circadian rhythms. And I think, you know, you, you talk to all sorts of people at different levels. Uh, and not everybody is university educated. Mm. Not everybody wants to tap things in and research absolutely everything. I mean, your audience, you know, are in that particular world where they love it. But there's still blind spots, and it's particularly yeah. in this area. And I think it's kind of, you wake up in the morning and you just have a conversation with your imaginary friend called your brain. Because <laughs> I can call you anything I want, Tom. Susan, Arthur, whatever. It's just the brain and bodily functions. And yeah. if you just go, what do you want? I want to have some sort of consistency in our wake times. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly the same time, every day, three, six, five. But let's just pick one relative to your chronotype, relative to your occupation, whatever that might be. So we'll pick 6.30. Chop your day up into 90-minute cycles. Now we've got 16 stages and four phases of the day. So we can move it back a cycle. We can move it ahead a cycle. We know where the other little recovery moments are. Now mm. we're talking. So now we're talking five a day, 35 cycles in a week, a balance of 28 cycles, four back-to-back -back nocturnal ones, and the little mini cycles that all add up. Right. So now we can look at it. Now we can walk it through. And he went, so let's start with that. What do you want to do in the first 90 minutes of your day? Well, I need to hydrate. I need to fuel up. Bladder's easy, but bowel for some people is not. So we mm. want to be feeding up the good stuff and get rid of the waste. So we might need a bit of time. I want loads of this lux, though. Give me that because that gets the right hormones going. Give me a break every 90 minutes. Just point me in a different direction, right? If you point me at chaos and activity and pressure, that's all I do is process that. You point me to a lovely coastline or a lovely picture of my wife and kids and suddenly I start processing things in a different way. Mm -hmm. Love those. Give me an opportunity, just 30 minutes, midday, early, right? Because as an am like me and you, Tom, we like to get up early, but we don't want to be going to bed at 9 o'clock at night because that's the normal AMA's chronotype. So yeah. it's taking advantage of the evenings and not to put any pressure on it, you know, like me, 6.30 wait time, four cycles back is 12.30, that's six hours. There's my four cycles at night. My mm. fifth cycle is 30 minutes late afternoon early to yeah. take the pressure off the evening, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So still be active in an unrushed way. Mm. So you kind of, 
So that makes some sense. What happens that if, makes loads of sense. What happens if we wake up in the morning and we don't feel that good? Don't worry about it. Mm. Loads of light, hydrate fuel up, nice little distracted breaks. We'll probably use that little 30 minute where we will microsleep it. We'll I'll microsleep mm. it. Oh, thanks very much. But just make sure you keep doing it. But I'll microsleep you there. Then we'll just get back on. That's fine. That's fine. That's cool. And ah, we've got to midday. And something's changed, which we didn't know about these outside influences. Whoa, okay then. So that means I'm still going to be doing something at 10 o'clock. That means I won't get back until like 11 o'clock. That's a bit too close because I need my 90 minutes before I enter sleep state. I can't just rush upstairs, brush my teeth and expect it to happen. No, don't do that to me because that'll just mess up the pattern, says the brain. So. You come all the way back. So as soon as something crops up midday, Tom says we've got to do this, or something else has happened, or my partner says this, we just go bang, right, it's 2 a.m. It's the next cycle along. Mm. So now I'm not worried about it. Right? I just go, right, it's not going to be 12.30 tonight. It's going to be 2 a.m., the cycle along. So we go out and do all of that stuff, deal with it, no panic, get back, do that. Sleep cycle, just three cycles into 6.30, keep it consistent. But then I'm already saying there's going to be a 30-minute one midday as well as the one late afternoon. One of them I might sleep, one of them I might not. But just popped it in. And I did that in less time than it's just taken me to tell you that. Yeah. It just happens in your head like that. Mm. You don't even have to think about it because yeah, there's no worry. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, a, it's such a good strategy to try and, um, you know, kind of like think ahead a little bit and, and almost like have these opportunities of recovery periods in your mind just in case you need it. Um, I, I'm, I'm really conscious here that I'm, ta- I'm taking a lot of your time. Um, and I, I know we're fast approaching nap time. Um, so I've, I've, got a, I've got a couple of questions uh, from some of the listeners, uh, if, you, if you don't mind uh, answering some of these. Uh, we've got four questions. Uh, I'm just going to wail away some of these questions, if you don't mind, Nick. Uh, so the, f- the first one is, I'm a shift worker. This is from Ian Lloyd. Uh, I'm a shift worker and work a pattern of 12 hours, four on, four off, two days, two nights. I generally work uh, an extra overtime shift on my four days off and still try and fit my Ironman training in around that. The main problem is that after after nights, I've got no problem getting to sleep, but then only sleep for a maximum of two to three hours. Sometimes I feel drowsy, but mostly okay. How can I stay asleep longer? You know, you get you get questions like this, which is a great question. Mm. Um, I think we've probably answered some of that, I would imagine. Yeah. We've well, probably answered some it, bit already. It is. I think the, not to be vague on it for your person who's raised the question, but I've done a lot of work with police forces and fire services, multi-schedules, exactly as that person described it, you know? Two days of this, two days of that, yeah, two days yeah. of that. So what you come back to is this rolling 24-7. It's not Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm. Saturday, Sunday. Mm. Right? It's about you rolling through these periods. And by adopting that polyphasic approach, you can't actually ask yourself to adopt that eight-hour thing or try to increase the levels of sleep when you're trying to catch up. What you're doing is, and unfortunately, this is the way of the world, 
is that we create these schedules and we don't consider the humans. Right? So we just go out and do it. Right? So all the, all the person has to do is, is just set that process up like we explained, particularly the last bit there, mm. chopping your hair from the line. And so you can actually look at your recovery in cycles, rolling through those periods. It's a challenge, right? It's not only they've got their event in there, they've got their life in there. Well, working multi-schedules is a massive challenge to the human being. Mm. And it's something that you can minimize the impact, but that's what you would do. Um, I'm sure maybe one or two of the chapters in the book might help that person do that. Yeah. Um, we've certainly got loads of information on our websites and social media that points to that. But it's the bit about the, the third bit of that R90 technique, sleeping in cycles. And if they, at the moment, they're sort of doing it with a kind of random approach and mindset to it. So they're always trying to catch up. Or to, So if you just take that away, then they'll suddenly realize that we'll have a technique. But ultimately, yeah. you know, I've, I've seen it with a number of organizations like that. And I think the one thing I hope that will come out of this behavioral change that we've all been asked from this pandemic is that actually asking individuals to work schedules like that is non-human and there are counterproductive side effects not only for the individual but their families their friends and also their ability to operate you know at their best so sure. hopefully we'll try and get that into a better balance and it's normally about finances and about the number of people ability to you know available to work you know they're just trying to make one person do five people's jobs yeah yeah no, that's good. And I'll, for, for Ian as well, I'll make sure I put a link to um, the book in the show notes and I'll send him a link personally as well. Um, well if you want a bit of a sales pitch, okay? Yeah. I don't normally do, you know that. But there is a £45 consult on our website. Brought in in January. Yeah. You fill out a profile questionnaire. I assess it against these seven KSRIs. We jump mm. on a little Skype Zoom call. You get a little set of slides. And I just pick out the little things where you could just make some practical, achievable changes to your overall routine, even with that one, and bang, you're sorted for the rest of your life. You know, bang. Perfect. You, know, Perfect. you don't have to keep going to the personal trainer or keep doing anything. It's just everything that we've been discussing in a sort of roundabout way is you just put all that inside of that person's life and just go, there you go. Now you've got it. Right? Class. Sounds like a brilliant product, to be fair. So yeah, about four and a half thousand pounds whenever the you know whenever we get out of this pandemic. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way. That's the way. Exactly. So um Annie Dobson asks, how can I stay asleep for longer than four hours a night too? Um she's obviously re read the question before. Uh, apparently menopause is the cause, but no one's given me any clues on how to get better quality sleep. Okay, well, hopefully, she's raised that question before listening to this. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, she will have a better understanding. All I can say, rather than trying to answer her question specifically without knowing some of the other things in her life, is yeah. since that book was published, it's in 15 languages around the world, and while I've been hidden away in sport, 
I have been coaching GPs, pilots, nurses, surgeons, and females going through the menopause. Mm. There's, a not, there's a lot of dynamics, whether she's on medication, which can be very counterproductive. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of hormone change. It is just a challenge. And I don't mm. mean to say that simplistically to her, because it's difficult. But it is a, a period of time which is going to have either a greater effect on her or, or a lesser effect. But it is, it is there. And it's using this technique to balance that approach. So she doesn't want to be trying to sleep longer. She just wants to be using what we've been talking about. Yeah. And get her recovery in a different way. Because you can't override this. You can't sort of ignore menopause you can't ignore anything like that you just have to here's a particular challenge in my life called this and the way i get through it is by sleeping polyphasically sure now good good answer uh, and i think i think we've answered this one already um, this is from uh, chris pridham is there a minimum and optimal amount of sleep you should aim for each night or is everyone different we've definitely covered that yeah, I think that the, there are there are chunks of the population as human beings, whatever gender, where depending on you know where you were born on the planet and your internal biological clock and those circadian rhythms that sort of get ingrained in you wherever you're born, all over this planet, uh, which are all different, you can adopt quite extreme polyphasic approaches where you hear you know. CEOs and prime ministers and all this sort of stuff. I only do four hours a night and all that sort of stuff. I think the principle is that this technique allows you to identify what's your optimum recovery program in whatever decade you are in your life. Mm. So you can, you know, in some respects, research would say that I only get six hours at night, not eight. So I'm going to have all the consequences of that because it's bad for you, right? Mm. But what it doesn't focus on is I actually get more recovery and get more out of my six hours and everything else that I do. So actually I'm recovering better. Yeah. So it's kind of for something like that, because you know, I said at the outset of this sleep's this massive subject now, but this educational process is just only just started. Mm. And, and you started it in your world, Tom, a couple of years ago, and now you are here today. And it's you'll be able to influence your children and spotting their chronotypes and thinking polyphasic. You'll be able to use all of that knowledge to help them. And boy, will I need it in this mm. world. But all it is, is, it sounds like that particular question is coming from somebody like everybody else, just doesn't know there's a very natural way to do this. Yeah. And it's a very simple way. What she's doing is fighting with the norm, with mm. the myths and the myth understandings that she's struggling with it. But actually, you know, five minutes on a call with me and she'll never look back. Yeah. Ah, good, good. Um, and I've got one more, one more question from uh, Dan Farmer. How do ultra-endurance athletes manage to perform so well given the fact that they sleep so little during a three- to four-week race or challenge? How do you prepare your body to perform optimally with such low volume of sleep? Well, we certainly covered that off. 
Um, yeah. The what they what they may be doing, um, maybe maybe they they haven't sort of intentionally sat down and go, this is what's going to happen, um, like we've been discussing. But they they might actually just be doing that whole polyphasic approach going through that period. So yeah, they've, like, they've already prepared well for it during it. They know it's going to be intense. So actually trying to allocate long periods of time to recovery, they can do other things recovery, you know, um, yeah. to help that process during it. And, and if they're used to that, then they can do it for a period of time. The thing yeah. is, is you can't keep doing it. Yeah. You know, you can do it for a period of time if you've trained well and you were talking about, you know, maybe a, a couple of weeks or months you start to shift that pattern now you're into this ultra thing so it's all about i mean i've been coaching you know athletes who do you know the race across america on a mountain bike mm. you know, 13 and a half days on a bike and they don't want to get off it because they're racing time not others and yeah. uh, so that's all about you know, going for a particular point in time stop leap off the bike curl up on the floor get your 20 minutes back on the bike, go again. And you do that for a period of time, but you have to have prepared yourself. Yeah. Kind of routine as we've talked about in this podcast at some length. Mm. But, you know, again, it's not in our DNA to go and talk to a sleep coach. Mm. It's just not personal trainers, everybody, you know, it's, it's just not in our DNA. So I think all the questions I've heard them so many times, yeah. It's not to put those people in, a, in a, a criticizing place. It's just, if there's one thing you want to take from this podcast, and which you did, you just simply don't sit there taking sleep for granted and trying to make it up in your own head and watching others. Mm. Right? That's dangerous. And that's where that question comes from. How do they do that? How do they do this? How can I do that? How can you? It's easy. It's easy. But... You've either got to do some more research into it, listen to your podcast, listen mm -hmm. to other podcasts in these areas, read my book, listen to it, read other books, you know, develop all your knowledge as well. But the one thing that is why people are called coaches and not just information providers is beyond all of this, as you know, Tom, is that when you get somebody individually and you can then just reveal what they get up to every day and all the other little outside influences in their little world and then there's no sort of definitive do this do that do that but the one thing the coach does is they don't tell you to stop doing this and start doing that or don't worry about this or chill out about that they just take you on a little journey and you end up in that place and you yeah. don't even realize it and i think anybody listening to this in that kind of world they've got so many things going on that's not going to change you know the thought back in the mid 90s of somebody having a full-time occupation a family and doing ultra and doing ultra triathlon <laughs> would have just been nonsense Tom, wouldn't it yeah yeah absolutely but it still, it still is for a lot of people <laughs> so you do have to sort of step back from that and the questions are very relevant they can be answered but it's it, the answer to the question is just take a little bit of time out and just get a better understanding of what we've been talking to 
get on a little consult if you want, read that book if you want. Um, it's not something that you have to do ongoing, but within everybody's, within everybody's, if you just take the focus off sleep, Tom, um, and some of the little things that have made an enormous difference to elite athletes, you know, one we mentioned before about British cycling and maybe we're actually napping in the peloton. Mm. You know, it's just a little, little sort of change of mindset of actually what is actually happening or what yeah. they think is happening, right? Yeah. Then you get like, we'll change the bed linen every night on the Tour de France. We'll have our own sleep kits mm. because those hotels are not set up for us. The products, the environment, everything else. Maybe if we do a little sort of profile on each one, maybe, you know, just picking names out of the hat. It's not specific, don't quote me. But maybe if uh, Sir Bradley Wiggins, in his own home, his wife uses a particular washing powder or gel, and that is a smell he's very familiar with when he's in his own bed sleeping, then we'll take that smell and it's all the front. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's lots of little familiarization things, sound, sensory, stuff. All of those little things come together that make that ultimate difference. And if you... Yeah. Like you opened up the podcast is you did not talk about your partner who likes the TV and to go to sleep. You like to put it in dark and you can go to sleep. There is something going on every day like it is for everybody else. Yeah? But it's not, is it a performance criteria or is that just life? Is that just <laughs> how it is? Right? Yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't approach that with just like, you know, take a drink out of this bottle. I mean, Tom would ask me quite clearly, what's in it? You wouldn't just drink anything. Yeah, you wouldn't yeah. just eat anything. You wouldn't just do this or do that. You wouldn't just, you know, randomly turn up at an event and say, can I borrow your trunks and your bike? You know, yeah. it's not going to happen, yeah. is it? No, exactly. So it's kind of, I think what the interesting thing is, is we always leap to these sort of, can we solve this bit, you know, multi-schedules? Can we solve menopause? Can we solve um, that last question of getting more sleep? You know, can you do this? How do they do that? When actually, if you just come back to it, just remind yourself that you've never looked into it, you never studied it, it's always just been there. Everybody else just does the same thing. But your big success factor is, as of listening to this podcast, mm. just, just make a step in the right direction. And yeah. for some, it, um, it, it, it's all got to be around practical and achievable, sustainable, to reveal more consistent levels of mental and physical recovery. And yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I, th I think like after our call, well, like I said earlier, a, couple, a good couple of years ago, you know, I, I definitely implemented quite a lot of the things uh, that we, we talked about. And my situation was quite unique because I was traveling across the world, you know, every single week, pretty much I'd be in a different continent and I was battling jet lag, battling, you know, chasing 
you know, flight times early in the morning from all sorts of different locations and just having that confidence that, you know, I can get up at 2.30 in the morning and I'm able to drive to Heathrow and get there, feel fine, have a little mini nap on the plane and get to work and work a full day without, you know, that much consequence uh, in terms of, you know, how I would feel and perform from a work standpoint was, was massive for me. And uh, honestly, and I'm not just saying this because you, you know you, you've been kind enough to give me the time, but for anybody who's got any any issues with sleep and I've got any questions, I would almost guarantee that you know a consult with Nick would be the best money that you've spent. Um, and you know, second to that is without a doubt, kind of buy the book and read it, which I'll put a link to in the in the show notes anyway. So Nick, I just want to say a big thank you for all the information you've given me personally and also shared on the podcast as well. I'm extremely, extremely grateful. Pleasure. It's just about trying to let as many people know that there is a little hidden secret out there. And if they grab hold of it, wow, you never know what you're going to do. Huh? Yeah, so the, more we, the more we keep passing it on, the better it is. And that's always been, when you ask me about my journey, I've always been completely fascinated why we just don't look at this area yeah when it's just so simple and straightforward you know it's the answer to so many things right yeah yeah i agree i agree but nick thanks thanks so much again uh just in case any of the listeners want to find you on social media or websites or whatever um can can you give them a little insight into your social media handles and places they can find you yeah um it's it's sport no s sportsleepcoach.com is the main site. Um, we are on the normal platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, um, constantly providing free content. On our website, we're always writing you know, blog posts, getting all the research from around the world around sleep and products and this sort of that and reviewing them and looking at them. So it's always a good place to go for that sort of mm. thing. Um, and we are, literally as we speak uh, about to launch in that sense but we've revised sportsleepcoach.com which is about all the coaching services and the easy access self-coaching tools that we're bringing in but we've also got um, a sportsleepstore.com and that will be you know all the products and interventions that I like and yeah. use from all sorts of areas you know? so that will you know you can keep an eye out for that because we'll, awesome. we'll probably have your podcast on it Tom. oh there we are awesome well <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, no that's 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 the way to do it um but i'll i'll definitely put all of those links in the show notes and i'll, I'll share the show notes with you before i publish it anyway um just so we get them all right then we get all the relevant um links in there but Nick, I'm, I'm so, so grateful for your time. You've been so generous. We've, we've done nearly kind of an hour and 45 minutes there. Um, nap yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's time for a nap. Thank you very much. No problem, Tom. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And uh, no yeah. doubt we'll speak soon. Okay. Cheers. Goodbye.